Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley. Now, about a month ago, we spoke to Marvin Rees, the mayor of Bristol, about the toppling of the Edward Colston statue and what that meant for him and for the city. So we thought one month on, we'd go back and speak to him on my Times radio show. It's a fascinating listen. He talked a lot about the politics, but also about his own personal experience, uh, particularly being stopped by the police, something we don't think he's spoken about before. So this is Marvin Rees, the mayor of Bristol. Talk to me on my Times radio show. Uh, Now then, a month ago, this was the sound in Bristol. Crowds cheering as the statue of slave trader Edward Colston was first torn down. Then noisily rolled through the streets. And that, of course, was the moment that it was toppled into the harbour. Now, since then, there's been lots of warm words and public soul-searching about the whole issue of Black Lives Matter. But what has changed? Even this week, we've seen footage of the black sprinter Bianca Williams and her husband uh, being stopped by police, uh, having apparently done nothing wrong. And it's almost as if those protests maybe never happened. And what's happened in Bristol a month on? Has anything changed there? Or has the lifting of the lockdown led to a broader return to, to normality? And what can those who felt they wanted to do something, felt they wanted to uh, do something proactively after those protests do now that we've all read the books and watched the documentary. With me to talk about what's happening in Bristol and the wider impact of that extraordinary moment is Bristol Mayor Marvin Rees. Good morning, Marvin. Good morning. Uh, Thanks for joining us on uh, Times Radio. Um, First of all, uh, let's go back to that moment uh, when uh, the statue of Edward Colston was was torn down. Um, How did you feel when you found out about it then? Well, I was very shocked. Um, I, I wasn't at the, the rally myself. Um, I had been uh, raising concerns about mass gatherings in the middle of COVID, uh, uh, you know, amongst other things. Um, so I was getting updates um, as, the, as the time went on. And um, when I, I, I got a text saying there was, you know, ropes thrown around the statue, got another text saying it had been pulled down, it had been dragged through the streets uh, and then um, taken to the harbour side and, and thrown in. Um, so as a mayor, you know, I'm, I'm shocked. Um, but as I've 
repeatedly shared, I am a, a person of Jamaican heritage. And um, even if I wasn't, um, I would, I, I, I still find that statue an affront to me. He is a, a slaver and I, and I don't mourn its passing. While at the same time, I, I cannot condone criminal damage. Um, I know you've, you've talked about this before, about how as a young mixed race boy growing up in Bristol, you were aware of the statue and you, you say that there it's a, it was an affront to you. So why, why didn't you take it down through the proper channels as mayor of Bristol? So this is this is a, a quite a sensitive area. One of the dilemmas of being a black politician is in that there's more expected of you on race, but you have less scope for doing anything on race. There's a difference between what it means to be a a black, highly paid black football player and a highly paid football player. Right, the same same uh, for politics. So I came. I was elected the first black mayor of African, or well, the first mayor of African heritage in Europe, apparently, or certainly of a major European city. You know, I come in in the middle of Brexit when a country is soul-searching for its identity, the debate over the statue is is a very contentious debate going on in the city for, for many, many years. Um, if I, you know, and on top of that, I am serious about tackling inequality. Inequality, tackling racism and inequality is not about symbolic acts. It's about getting at housing, employment, skills, mental health, all issues of substance. So I've got a limited amount of political capital I can spend that on a symbolic act of taking away the statue or spend it on what we've been trying to do is deliver affordable housing and delivering transport solutions uh, for the city. And that's what um, I chose to do. Um, and I, I can just imagine the headlines and you're a journalist, so you can imagine if the first black mayor just came in and made a priority of taking down uh, statues and road names of people um, who, who have been stitched into the city's history. I mean, all I would have been known as was a black mayor. I wouldn't have been known for balancing the budget. I wouldn't have had credibility of delivering affordable homes. And so uh, that's the dilemma I face. And that's the decision I made with the limited resources I had. And you don't have any regrets about that, you don't. Given that it was, it ended up being such a extraordinary moment, and did prompt lots of soul searching and people asking themselves uh, questions about the way that they've approached this issue before. Maybe if you had done it earlier, it might have. And I completely take your point. You know, you can do several things at once. But if you had done it before, maybe the, the you know the country might have had this debate a few years ago. I, so there's another dilemma here. That there's an interesting point that you know we wait hundreds of years for a black politician to come along, and then Colston statues his fault. You know, I mean, it's it's like I said, I come in and there is a political context in which I have to operate. And you'll see this uh, black politicians navigating this, you know, across the country um, and and around the world. You've seen Obama, you see David Lammy navigating it. You'd have seen uh, Diane Abbott navigating these these dilemmas of being a black politicians with high expectations on on race, but having to be very careful in a way we navigate the landscape in which we we operate before we get pigeonholed and before we, uh, you know, get cast aside and, and face disproportionate levels of abuse and so forth. So I don't regret what I've prioritised because, as I said, I'm serious about tackling uh, racism and racism is not tackled through through symbolic acts, as you pointed out at the beginning. Lots of warm words and soul searching. These can be the kind of symbolic ceremonial processes that make to be perfectly frank, uh, quite middle-class people feel a lot more comfortable about their position within the hierarchy, but don't change the underlying drivers of race and class inequality uh, in, in the country. They don't uh, provide better resources in schools. They don't make sure that people are not disproportionately um, unemployed or in the criminal justice system or in our mental health institutions. Um, and that's something that I'm always at pains to uh, to point towards. And I said, you know, if I if I have a choice between uh, walking down Colston Street to a highly paid job that allows me to put money into my family um, and my community uh, and walking down Smith Street 
to unemployment, I'll walk down Colston Street. We've got to deal with the issues of substance, not just the issues of symbolism. If you like what you're hearing, you can listen to the whole of my Times Radio show. Either listen back on the Times Radio app or you can listen live Monday to Thursday, 10 till 1. We'll have more on the episode after this. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway. Like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And what has happened uh, a month on in Bristol? Have things gone back to normal, or is it still a, a live, a live issue in debate? Well, it was it was a warning I made at the time that one of my concerns was that people would expect now the world to just suddenly change uh, in in a moment in time because it was a very emotional time, and a lot of people caught up, caught up in it. There were stories all around the world that somehow we think that racism would uh, somehow be uh, mortally wounded. Uh, within two days, uh, and my point was, it will not be, it will not disappear ne- uh, tomorrow. It will not disappear next month, and it will still be with us in five to ten years. Um, so I was concerned about increased expectation of the pace of change, simply because of um, a, a a symbolic um, act. Now, I, you know, in some sense, I, like I said, I don't mourn the loss of the statue, and I. And I see it as incredibly symbolic, uh, poetic in many ways, what happened. The statue of an oppressor, 80,000 to 85,000 African lives uh, taken to make this man rich, 19 to 20,000 people thrown overboard of his ships en route, again, part of his uh, wealth making, rolled through the streets and, and thrown into the harbour from the very quayside from which many of his ships would have docked on their route around the Triangular Trade. There's, there's poetry in that. But the status quo um, is, is remarkably adaptable and incredibly resilient. Um, and we've had these times before when we have these momentous moments in history that we think everything's gonna change, right? So World War I was the war to end all wars, right? And then we had World War II, then we had the Cold War, we had the Civil Rights Movement. Um, if I jump a whole bunch of decades, you come to the riots of the 1980s, you know, you had the Stephen Lawrence inquiry, uh, we had the anti-globalization protests, you know, we had the financial crash of 2008. All these times that we said, right, let's have a look at ourselves and work out who we are, um, and that's just, that's there for a time, and then you know somehow the normal machinery of 
of the of our global political economic systems and so forth just continues um, as it was, and that's what I'm concerned about. Racism is very uh, resilient. Um, so, so, but there, there has so been what, a change be in then, the Martin? profile of the conversation and the energy with which people are engaging with that with that conversation, which has been uh, very welcome. I do have a little concern, though, uh, in that even on Netflix now, there's a Black Lives Matter tab under um, films. So it seems like everyone's saying it now. <laughs> um, so it could become meaningless. And there's a risk that people think, oh, well, I've watched all of the films on the Black Lives Matter tab on Netflix. So I've done my bit. Uh, but actually, it hasn't improved the lives of the people that you know the campaign originally set out to help. And again, it's um, a, a friend of mine, a Lebanese friend of mine, shared a great insight. Well, I thought it was great insight anyway. <laughs> um, and he said that a, a problem well defined is a problem half solved. If we think that racism is about personal attitudes and emotions and feelings, then we will pursue solutions in the realm of personal attitudes and emotions and feelings. If we actually understand that racism is a system of, uh, you know, of structuring society and uh, consigning people to positions of poverty where they're more vulnerable to exploitation, um, uh, while giving other people the ascendancy, then we'll look for solutions in the realm of politics and economics, which, in many ways, to me, takes it outside of the realm of emotion. People may get emotional about it, but fundamentally, the pursuit of anti-racism is not an emotional task for me. It comes down to the nuts and bolts of how the economy works. Uh, and, and though I say, Martin Luther King shared this insight. You know, he said, um, we'll get to the love later. Let's do the justice first. And we can, we, we're in a much better position to build meaningful relationships with people when we know that, uh, that people who look like us are not... Um, you know, consigned to very different experiences of the planet. And listen, I'm a mixed race man. My wife is white. My mum is white. I go to a church where the majority of the members are white. I have very good, I'm going to say now, I've got white friends, right? <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, so we, we, we live across these boundaries and it doesn't mean that we can't have uh, friendships, uh, but it always means that there's a context that challenges the, the, the fullness of our relationships and, until we deal to that, and unless we deal with that, that, that wider context of inequality. And has there been fallout from the the protests a month ago? I mean, is, uh, I've read that you've received you, you unfortunately you receive abusive messages and that sort of thing all the time. But you've received more as a result. Yeah, there was a little uptick. Um, you know, I had a few letters suggesting I go back to my own country and all that type of stuff. <laughs> but as I said, my white family uh, from my mum they, they go back in this city for centuries. So um, I'm probably going to put my um, my genealogy out there soon actually um, as part of a project we're doing with some historians in the city um, and we had the the grave the tombstone of um, Scipio Africanus who was um, an enslaved African who died here as a servant um, uh, that was smashed uh, up in the city um, so there has been um, a, a, a bit of a backlash um, but I, I, I would also just share that I think that 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 response is actually a bit more complicated than many people um, see, so the week after there was a there was an event at the cenotaph, um, pulled together by some football fans, and and some people really lazily kind of labelled that as far right, as well, and and it was it, you know there were far right people there, but not everyone there was far right. Um, but there were people there who were saying actually, um, listen, I, I I don't I don't mind Black Lives Matter, and um, I actually went to see um, a couple of the organisers of that. Um, what was seen as a bit of a counter rally. Again, it's not it's not clean enough to say that, but I went to meet them. They said, look, and we believe that the statue of Colston had its day. 
Um, so we, we, we just don't like the way it was done. And they also had concerns about some groups that they felt were trying to infiltrate Black Lives Matter, some of the kind of you know, anarchistic um, groups that they, they have a particular problem with. So it's quite a complicated picture um, out there. And are you worried about that? We've talked on the, the show before about the this this view of the Black Lives Matter movement being hijacked by the hard left, you know, talk of defund the police, uh, which actually makes it easier for people who oppose the the, the more broadly held views about um, Black Lives Matter. It makes it easier for opponents of that to sort of dismiss the whole thing. Do you worry about messages like defund the police being attached to this? I, I do, because I think it's too... It's too few words to capture uh, what we might actually be talking about. Um, I've pointed out to someone, defund the police often results in the loss of community police officers and um, a withdrawal to the kind of, you know, uh, van driving response units that have no relationships with people. So the danger is that defunding of the police actually leads to more of a kind of a, a, a say, militaristic kind of a policing rather than the um, policing by consent model that you can invest in if you have community uh, officers and, and those relationships. Um, but what I think, what the way I interpret defund the police in a healthy way is that we would like more money spent on preventative measures. Um, and you could say that in, in terms of health too, actually. So if we spend less money on locking people up and more, more money on early years, mental health, nutrition, quality homes, um, educational support, particularly around SEN, you know, where, uh, where children are struggling to learn, um, then we will re you know, we'll reduce the likelihood of people coming into contact with the criminal justice system and having a, um, you know, a, a hostile, coercive uh, relationship uh, with uh, with the with the UK, um, so is, I, I support that. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just concerned about the, the the nuance of that message being lost. Is it not possible to say that you support the funding of the police, but you'd also support some more funding? The phrase "defund the police" does sound like uh, you think that there's you know, something inherently wrong, evil, racist about all the police, and the the whole thing should be abolished in some way. That's a, that's a different message too. Well, I'd prefer there some more community policing funding, isn't it? Yeah, so I, what I wouldn't do is go head-to-head uh, -head with people using that phrase because I, I, I understand, I think, of, in some sense of what they, they mean. And, and I think there is, there is a, an argument to be engaged with, whether, you, whether people sympathise with it or not, that for some people, uh, the police have been a hostile force. Um, even as mayor, I had an incident with a police officer who came up with, with an incredible amount of hostility. Um, well, recently, and it was only it was only about ninety seconds, two minutes into the conversation, he actually recognised me. <laughs> it was a proper in the heat of the night moment, and uh, and then he's began to change his tone. And what, just just um, just explain what happened there. Then what? So you were out in the evening? No, I was driving my car, right. and um, there was a very narrow road, and I started off down a narrow road, and a police officer drove towards me. Um, it wasn't his turn to go. I hasten to add, <laughs> and um, ended up bumper to bumper, and then you know. Anyway, there was a there was a gesture, and when I when he pulled up next to me in a car, he, he accused me of being aggressive, and um, and I I so I said, well, do you talk to all members of the public like that? And um, and then he was just saying, well, all right, fella, and and was just a bit rude. And you know, my concern was, I know that as the mayor of Bristol, I can get on the phone and phone someone up. 
And in fact, we have fantastic uh, commander in, in the city and we have a fantastic chief constable. And we have a really good, uh, as well, police uh, crime commissioner in the city. So I know I can call them and this is not, this is not the kind of behavior that they're gonna find acceptable. Um, but if I, was, if I was not the mayor and I did not know where I could go within the political structure to get my justice, as it were, I might have started remonstrating with that police officer in that moment. And then he would have accused me of being aggressive um, and I probably would have ended up being arrested and from a situation that was not my fault. So I was able to keep calm because I think, well, you know, in five minutes, I'm going to call your commander, you know. And when, um, when was so this? Was this, 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 was this recently? Happens, yeah. and, and, for, for, and, and for people on the receiving end of that, they, you know, they will question the legitimacy of the police. And we have a, we have a tradition in this country of policing by consent. And, and there are some people in some communities, communities I'm a part of, who are actually saying, I'm withdrawing my consent right now because what I'm getting from you is not fair. And, and that will then turn out as, as, as defund the police. Now, like I say, you may not, from, from your perspective, I'm not saying you personally, Matt, but people may not, from their perspective, um, uh, agree with that. But what they also need to recognise is they are not experiencing the world as, in the same way as those people. Uh, just before we move on, when, when was this? Was this recently? your encounter uh, last last year okay because obviously we've seen you know even the last few days the bianca williams case um and again it's someone who's got a platform and a, and a, an ability to raise uh, these issues and she released the footage where her, and her husband was stopped uh the, you know she was pulled out of the car she had a, a baby in the back of the car um what do you see what do you think when you see footage like that i feel very frustrated I would say angry, but it's very dangerous for uh, black men to express anger. So, um, but it, uh, yeah, it annoys me um, uh, because it, it, it feels like it, it, it's another wound. You know, it's the, it's not, it's not that you need a big explosive incident all the time. It's just the subtle daily humiliations because it's humiliating. I, I again, I, when I was working for the health service, I was driving home and um, I got pulled over by a, police officer and he got me out of my car and sat me in the back of his car no he didn't need to do that right he just wanted to check on him me and you know and it said I made a wrong turn interestingly I ended up with an apology because um, an inspector looked on google maps and found out I could make the turn I made um, but it was the whole process I went through and it was embarrassing you know and you can't just you, you don't just you go through those things and dust them off and move on no human no normal human being just dusts off an embarrassment particularly when there's a pattern um, and and the issue is, even though I'm I'm a mayor, all right, it's not me, but it's someone who looks like me, right? And we share, we have that common experience. It could be my brother, and it, and, and actually it was me in many ways. Um, and and there's a price to be paid for that. There's a price in the legitimacy of our public institutions. Again, do people then begin to say, actually, I'm withdrawing my consent from this police force? So, I, you know, you just have to understand it. And we, I did say about the Home Secretary once, you know, you can't engage in willful misunderstanding. Even if you disagree with someone's conclusions, try to work out why they've come to that conclusion because you might actually find that they've got a bit of a case. Um, and, uh, and then you have to engage with, with whether that case is, uh, you know, how you begin to uh, address the, the reasons for why they've come to their conclusions. Yeah, you and I spoke a few days after the, the statue incident on the Red Box podcast, and you talked then about how you hadn't heard from Pretty Patel or Boris Johnson who were making you know statements about the way the whole thing was handled and the policing of it. Have you heard from them since? Have you heard from the Home Secretary or the Prime Minister? No, no. I mean, but this is... I, th I, think, I think that challenge, uh, Matt, is, is, about, um, is about this particular incident, but you'll see that that is pretty much the 
mode of behaviour across most things at the moment, whether it be um, hospital masks, opening of schools, you know, announcements of funding for business, that it, 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 it goes beyond ideology and party. It's, it's the dysfunctional um, machinery of governance in the country that, that means that people sit behind desks in uh, Westminster Whitehall try and come up with ideas that are uniformly applicable to the whole of the country. And it just, it's just it's no longer appropriate. So what happens now in terms of uh, making that that extraordinary sort of memorable moment in Bristol have a have a lasting impact? You know, do we look at what's being taught in schools that Prince Harry and Meghan have been uh, talking about uh, looking at the our Commonwealth history? Prince Harry saying there's no way we can move forward unless we acknowledge the past. Do you think what's taught in schools needs to change so that people grow up knowing uh, our history properly? Because I think one of the things that people thought probably when they were reading about Edward Colston and so on, was, was that, well, we didn't know anything about this. You know, um, this wasn't what we were taught in schools. Do you think that, that that does need to be addressed from schools and beyond? Absolutely. It's almost Orwellian, isn't it? The, the way we kind of control history to, uh, to manage it. So first of all, I want to say, I, I thought Harry and, um, Harry and Meghan's um, contribution was absolutely outstanding, um, actually. And one of the first feelings I had about it was not just about this incident, but was, was just how sorry I've been to... To lose them to the uh, to the to the country, although they are still present, but um, it really was a, a very insightful, intelligent um, approach. But we do need to, uh, uh, to 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 grab a hold of our history and tell it in all its fullness. Um, David Olasuga uh, just said, "This is just about doing good history." You know, calling Edward Colston a wise and virtuous son of the city is not good history. It's it's just not good. Right? Historians would want to know the full um, the full picture, wouldn't they? And actually. As a country, what we need to get comfortable with is the fact that we are full of hypocrisies and contradictions. I, as a, as I, as a, a fallen human being, I'm full of hypocrisies and contradictions. Right? Um, like as are you, as is everyone. Oh when you yeah, put definitely. Yeah. million people together on an island. You don't think there are going to be hypocrisies or contradictions? Why are we afraid of that? That's what makes that's what makes us interesting, right? Because we are complicated, um, and our history needs to stop trying to come up with a one-dimensional. Everything is great. Uh, view and begin to say, do you know what? There are some things that there are some things we have been engaged with that do not reconcile with the values we profess to have. That is the wrestle. That is the, uh, you know, the battle of, of you know within within the heart of every individual and within within the heart of every um, country. And our historians need to to be given the space to bring that into public domain without being seen as unpatriotic or um, or moaning or anything like that. It's just doing good quality history. I have to say, I just seem to remember spending an awful lot of time at schools reading, learning about crop rotation and various agricultural machines. And I think <laughs> we could have probably dropped that to have learned a bit more about uh, what happened. You know, I grew up in Somerset. What happened just up the road in Bristol would have been far, far more did you ever uh, useful. Put it into practice? Did you? <laughs> so, say again, the crop rotation. Did you ever put that into practice? Well, my, make my, use of crop rotation. I, I, I confess, my lettuces are doing quite well um, <laughs> <laughs> right now. Um, but let, let's come right up, back up to date, though. Just we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about you know, black people being worse affected by coronavirus. What's the what's the current situation in Bristol? Because we've heard in the news today, there's a pub in Burnham on Sea which has had to close. You know, Western Supermare Hospital was in the news a couple of weeks ago, not a million miles away from Bristol. Are you worried about a second spike there? Yeah. So um, COVID, I, I would say we rode in a couple of ways. Right? Um, first of all, COVID itself is a health threat by definition. But actually, the consequences of economic downturn are also a health threat. When you take that public health view 
um, of understanding of, of the world. So I'm concerned that any second spike in and of itself would again disproportionately impact uh, black and brown people, but also the poorest white people who are the most vulnerable jobs and, and poorest, worst living conditions. But actually, those people are, are, who are closer to the margins of the economy are going to get hit first and hardest by economic, any economic downturn. And then they'll be worse placed to benefit from any uptick in the economy. So we can expect those inequalities in society to, society to grow um, through any, um, uh, well, through the depression that is coming our way. And that should be a source of real concern because I think it's those growing inequalities that really could stitch into a, a social instability uh, in, our, in our country that will, again, will not be good for, for our, um, not just for our spirit, but for our, for our economic prosperity. Well, Marvin Weiss, it's really good to speak to you, uh, Mayor of Bristol, and uh, hopefully we can check in with you again because uh, there's there's so much more I want to ask you. Just well, the final thing, we've, we've seen the TV pictures and the, the photos of the, the statue was fished out of the harbour. Uh, it's in a secret location, we're told, before it gets put in a museum in Bristol. Any news on what might go on the empty plinth instead? We're going to, I think, actually, the conversation, the work we do with our historians um, will give the city a better collection of material and thoughts to say who do we actually want to give that place of honor to and and so i won't jump that i won't jump the gun on that we've had some suggestions from banksy and a few other people um, but I, I want that to be the city's uh city's decision very good marvin reese uh, mayor of bristol really good to speak to you uh, here on times radio that's all we've got time for on this episode to listen to the whole times radio show just go to the times radio app and click listen again to make sure you don't miss future episodes of the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Acast, Spotify or wherever you listen. And to read more about what we've been talking about on the podcast, go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Radio to subscribe. But for now, for me, Matt Cholly, it's goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 